It's Friday, May 8th, 2020. I'm Stephen Fee, and this is The Pen Pod, a limited-run podcast from Pen America. On today's edition, a new Facebook oversight board, a tool to help prevent online harassment on Twitter, we talk the big social platforms and free speech with our CEO, Suzanne Nossel. That's in our weekly Tough Questions segment. Then, checking in with pen centers around the world, we have a conversation with novelist and Penn Ukraine president, Andrei Korkov. I'm Stephen Fee, all that coming up on The Pen Pod. Some big news from the social media giants this week. Facebook has a new oversight board. Twitter has a new tool meant to prevent online harassment. To help us wade through, I'm joined by PEN America CEO Suzanne Nossel for our weekly Tough Questions segment. Hey, Suzanne. Hi, Stephen. So let's start on Facebook. Uh, They rolled out the leadership of their new oversight board. Uh, It's designed to provide some kind of check on Facebook's decisions about the content that it either takes down or the content it leaves up. And I'm wondering, from your point of view, do you think this is a step in the right direction? Or is this Facebook sort of dodging accountability by just trying to police itself? It's a bit of both, to be honest. You know, they're have been so many gaping questions about the regulation of online content and so many areas of online content, whether it's uh, the advocacy of terrorism and terrorist recruitment, you know, obviously over the last couple of months, uh, disinformation and misinformation relative to the pandemic, harassing content, uh, exposés, you know, explicit material, uh, pornography or things that border on pornography that have sparked enormous debate over where the boundaries should lie and do we want outlets like Twitter and Facebook to function as a kind of digital equivalent of the public square where the boundaries are very wide and you can say, you know, just about anything, uh, you know, short of perhaps direct incitement to violence, which is prohibited even under the First Amendment. or or can be prohibited under the First Amendment, you know, do we want these platforms to have a playing field for speech that is as broad ranging and and limitless as that? Or do we believe these platforms owe a responsibility to society to regulate and control and mitigate some of the very real harms and damage that we see from certain types of speech. So that's this ongoing dilemma and debate that has been raging through policymaking organizations and organs in the European Union and in other jurisdictions of social media companies themselves in Silicon Valley, a whole cadre of law professors and advocates in the world of digital freedom have been debating over how to draw the boundaries and how aggressively we want social media platforms to police content. And so this idea of the Content Review Board uh, germinated, I think, about 18 months ago. And it was the notion that you should create a, a, a group of people a step removed from Facebook's management with their concerns over building audience and profit and the bottom line and have those people bringing requisite expertise from the legal realm, uh, the policy realm, technology, issues like harassment and intimidation, coming together to deliberate these tough questions and decide where the boundaries ought to be drawn. And I think there is merit to 
the notion that you want to draw in these types of expertise, that having a group of people deliberate on these questions, a step removed from the profit motives that must govern uh, at a, a private company. You know, I think those are positive steps, but it also reflects the kind of yawning gap in terms of regulation. Like our regulators are nowhere near coming to grips with these questions. But, you know, some and some people sort of say this is an abdication of government. But you know, there's a flip side to that, which is do we really want legislatures around the world dictating to social media companies you know, how they should uh, police their platforms. In some countries, for example, Germany, they do so kind of far more aggressively. They have strict laws prohibiting hateful speech online and companies can be fined steeply if they don't remove hateful content from the platforms. And obviously that derives from Germany's particular history in terms of bigotry uh, and, and, and uh, genocide. So you can understand why they are stricter on those questions, but there are, it also raises real free speech concerns when those governments are very assertive in policing online speech. We see kind of a lot of false positives. We see that you know disenfranchised groups often are the ones who end up being accused of purveying uh, the hateful content or bigotry. So there are problems with empowering government to do this. And, you know, that's where you get back to Facebook. And there you know, was an idea that this should be an industry wide initiative and you should have a body of outsiders that would perform this function, not just for Facebook, but kind of collectively for Facebook, Google, YouTube, Instagram. And it was pretty clear that was not going to get off the ground anytime soon. And so Facebook has gone ahead and they've put this together. It's a very distinguished group of people who really do have significant expertise in these areas. And I, you know, I basically think we should give them a chance and see what they come up with. I think the rubber's going to hit the road when they want to wade into an issue that Facebook's management doesn't want them to have their hands on or when they render a decision that really runs against the company's corporate interests. And the question then will be, will Mark Zuckerberg, you know, as he has said he would, heed to the directives of this body or are they going to kind of be pulled back or reined in in some way? And if so, you know, how do they then react? Do they put up with that, uh, you know, or not? And I think they all feel, you know, it's it's a prestigious organ to be part of, and they will be somewhat invested in, in trying to make this thing work. Yeah. Well, so going from the very high uh, and grand oversight board to something maybe a little bit more functional over on Twitter, um, this week they announced they would test um, a mechanism that sends users a prompt when they attempt to reply to a message uh, using offensive or hurtful language. Do you think that this is a threat to speech or is this a smart way to prevent online hate? You know, it may come as a surprise for somebody uh, who's running a free speech organization, but I actually like this idea. My book, Dare to Speak, Defending for Free Speech for All, which comes out in July, my first chapter is about the idea of being conscientious with language and that when you speak, you need to sort of think through where your words are going to land and what kind of audience they're going to reach and who you might not be considering or thinking of, but who might see your words and interpret them in a very, in a way very different from what you intended. And that's certainly true on Twitter, where you, know, you may tweet to your own followers, but of course they can retweet and retweet and your tweets can land far and wide all over the world, reaching audiences that you never dreamed of. And so, you know, the idea that conscientiousness should be baked into the system and that, you know, if you're using a uh, a nickname or a, you know, something that may be considered a slur in some context, that that's something, 
know, to be aware of and that the system might alert you to. And, you know, it is, it's not mandatory that you heed that alert. You can ignore it. You can swat it away. I also think if people decide that they'd rather not see these alerts, that should be an option. You shouldn't be forced to be confronted with this. But, you know, who doesn't sort of write the occasional email or perhaps social media post, you know, in a moment of anger or frustration or, you know, a great joke comes to mind. Uh, but then you think the better of it. You kind of realize, ooh, you know, uh, this is so funny, but somebody might read it the wrong way. Or, you know, if it uh, this was read by somebody who's in a different age group or ethnic group or gender group, they could misunderstand my intent in writing this. And then, you know, you kind of pull it back. And that's not that's not censoriousness. That's not censorship. That's, you know, part of being, you know, a responsible person living in society is to sort of think through how you're wording things, who you're speaking to, how well you can control where your ideas may travel. And, you know, whether you're putting things in as careful, uh, you know, and, and thoughtful as a, w- a way as you as you want to. So. I think Twitter's notion that they can offer a tool that at least, you know, with certain language triggers kind of prompts you to perhaps think twice or maybe lets you know that a word that you never realized was a slur actually, uh, you know, is considered a slur, uh, you know, maybe in some parts of the country or the world. Because, you know, many of the in my book, I talk about a lot of examples where people, you know, say something that really is from their perspective kind of perfectly innocent, uh, you know, and they have no idea about a double meaning. I mean, there's one kind of famous incident, um, you know, where somebody's talking about the, the basketball player, Jeremy Lin, and he, uh, in t- the article was headlined, a chink in the armor. And it was incredibly offensive to Chinese people, because of course, chink can be uh, a slur, uh, you know, is, is known as that uh, in a longstanding way, but it's also a legitimate phrase. A chink in the armor has a very different meaning, you know, which is a, a sort of, um, you know, a little uh, uh, indentation in a wall or something. So the writer had no thought of this thing in relation to Jeremy Lin. That was the furthest thing for his, from his mind. If he had a, had a little warning from Twitter, you know, in a post like that, you know, hey, do you really want to use the word chink? He might have uh, caught this and avoided himself, you know, really an enormous amount of grief and in fact, losing his job. Yeah, well, it's certainly uh, something to to monitor for from Twitter, and and perhaps it brings a little bit more thoughtfulness. Well, Suzanne Nossel is CEO of Pen America. Her forthcoming book, as she mentioned, is called Dare to Speak, and it comes out this summer. Thanks a lot, Suzanne. Thanks, Stephen. This week, we spoke to Polina Sadovskaya, our Eurasia Program Director at PEN America. She's been monitoring free expression concerns across Russia and the former Soviet states on our behalf. She recently spoke about how the literary community is reacting to the pandemic in Ukraine with president of that country's PEN Center, novelist Andrei Kurkov. Here's their interview. Hello, Andrei. So glad to hear from you. Where are you right now? In our summer house between Kiev and Zutomir. It's very quiet here. Not reading any news can allow you to know nothing and live through these hard times quietly. I think others might perceive it differently. There's tension because public transport isn't working. It is working, but in order to get on infrequent trams and trolley buses, one has to show a special permission proving that you're a medical worker, military worker, or work in the place that has to be running even during quarantine. 
inner city traffic is stopped. There are no trains, buses, or planes. In terms of mobility, the country is stopped, but not paralyzed, because private vehicles can drive whenever they need. And how did this situation affect the community of writers? Writers started communicating more online and became more active on Facebook. I hear that the majority of them are taking advantage of silence and forced isolation to write novels, essays, nonfiction, and other pieces. There is an opinion that it's very hard to be creative during times of uncertainty and panic. I think it's hard because you always want to be up to date with the latest news, number of infected, and situations in regions. I also notice myself wanting to go online to at least look at the news feed. Right now, concentration is more important than usual. As a president of Penn Ukraine, can you tell me how Penn Center adjusted to this situation? Penn Center organized online readings with our major writers, members of Penn. The schedule is set for April. Every evening, one of the writers goes online to the website of Penn Ukraine and talks about their own latest book or presents their own ideas or monologues. Ostap Slavinsky, a young and active writer, translator, and poet, talked about the book he translated, the book of recent Nobel Prize winner Olga Tokarczuk, the book of Jacob. There were many people who participated virtually, and everything now remains publicly available, which makes it our new archive of podcasts, if I can call it this way. Of course, we are still in the midst of pandemia, and it's still very early to come to the conclusions, but Andrei, can you maybe talk a little bit about some of the lessons that we can already take from the crisis? Before the pandemic, I managed to visit the U.S. and India. In India, before even knowing about the pandemic, I was very surprised when in the city Thiruvananthapuram, I accidentally found Mahatma Gandhi's quote on the wall that struck me, sanitation is more important than patriotism. I think I noticed this quote for a good reason. Maybe humanity relaxed a little too much, and that's why the pandemic happened. Humanity needs to remember how fragile the balance between wholesome and unhealthy powers in nature is. These are the words of wisdom, indeed. Thank you so much, Andrei, and please stay safe. Thank you, and take care of yourself as well. That was our Polina Sadovskaya speaking with Penn Ukraine's Andrei Kurkov. You can read more about how Ukraine is responding to the pandemic in Polina's piece on our website, penn.org. And that's our episode for Friday, May 8th, 2020. Join us next week for the Pen Pod. You can listen to all our episodes at pen.org. Follow us at Pen America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Sign up on our website for our daily Dare newsletter. That's where we track major stories about literature, free expression, and the news of the world. I'm Stephen Fee for Pen America. This is the Pen Pod. See you Monday.